You know, there's a, there's a great many of people in this world who really uh, want this place to be a good place, to be a, a beautiful place to live, Christians and non-Christians alike. They're working hard to make things beautiful. We want to do good work. We want to get it right. And we don't have to like look very far out to find out that this is true. There's so many like wonderful people who are giving their life, they're giving their heart and their soul and their energy and their time and everything else to this neighborhood, to downtown Augusta, to this city alone. There's people who are painting and people investing and people cleaning and people restoring and people cooking and teaching and making music and promoting others and on and on and on and on. People are giving their lives to make this place better, Christian and non. You guys do a lot even amongst yourselves in this room. People in our city, they just do so much. But also, we can see that just right around us, but also just like a look out into the world and even in the church, and we can easily see that we're not there yet, right? Wherever there may be, we're not there yet. Things aren't as beautiful as we imagine that they might, could be. They're not as beautiful as, as we imagine that we could make them. And if we get realistic for a moment, it maybe even doesn't seem like we're close oftentimes. It almost seems impossible to even make a small dent in the darkness. Things like war, sickness, hunger, thirst, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, racism, misogyny, on and on and on it goes. From third world to first world, people are divided. Like People want good things all over the world, right? But then also everybody wants to do it their way. Everybody wants it their way. And then we kind of start doing bad things to make it happen, right? We do bad things to get our way. And it seems when we look at it that nothing is truly beautiful through and through. We have to be careful not to think about that too much and to get too deep into it because a reality check that I don't know if you experience very much, but I experience it from the time to time. It can start causing some doubt in me, start causing cynicism, can even lead to some despair. And we may be tempted to give up and just start going about whatever we're going to do and go get whatever we can from wherever we can. Just start gathering stuff for ourselves. You know, Claire and I moved uh, into downtown about 15 years ago, believing that we could help make this neighborhood and this city more beautifully. And, and honestly, I thought that 15 years later, by now, Augusta would be like the next Greenville or the next Charleston or the next Savannah, right? But it's not. It hasn't become what I thought it would become 15 years ago. And it's better than it was, but there's also been a lot of great things that have been frustrated along the way. It's not what I thought it would be. And if I'm honest with you, I've wanted to give up many times. I've wanted to give up on downtown. I've wanted to give up on Augusta. I've wanted to give up on church. And I've wanted to just kind of go out and get whatever I can get for myself and just mind my own business and do my own thing, right? But I still think that there's still something better in the staying rather than the going. I still believe that. And what we're going to see today in this passage in Haggai as we continue through this book is that there's reason for us to take courage and to continue the work. 
even when it seems pointless, even when we know it's not going to turn out as good as we originally envisioned, and even if we know that we can't make it perfect. There's an encouragement here in Haggai. So we're going to jump right into that. Um, We're in Haggai as we continue to go through the minor prophets. We're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. If you can find it, you can follow along with us in the Bible. Also, the, the scripture will be up on the screen if you want to follow along. It says this, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shotil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, as we saw last week in the first chapter of Haggai, God called the people to rebuild the temple. This remnant of people come back from exile. He calls them to rebuild the temple, and they obey. And now in chapter 2, we find the people like a month later, and they've been working on the temple for about a month. But what they've built doesn't quite measure up to what they had expected. Like some of them would have this memory of Solomon's temple destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. They would have remembered how beautiful it was. They would remember the the materials used to build it, the the ornateness of the thing, the sacred objects that were there, the Ark of the Covenant. And with that collective memory, like a month into this four-year rebuild of the temple project, the people can already see that this temple will not match the splendor of the last. I mean, they don't have Solomon's riches. They don't have that kind of power anymore. They're just some people returned from exile. They can't call in craftsmen from abroad. They can't import materials. They don't have all the original sacred items to put back in the temple like they once were. And so God sends Haggai to speak into the the kind of growing disappointment that's, that's occurring with these people and to encourage them in the present by reminding them about the enduring truth of God, about who He is, about what he does. He says this in Haggai 2, 3 through 5. He says, Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you. When you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. 
See, God is encouraging His people. He encourages people, encourages His people to be strong and to continue the work on the temple by reminding them of the covenant that He made with them as they came out of Egypt so many years ago. And in that reminder is actually a flashback to the very first temple, or actually the tabernacle, the tent that they actually carried through the wilderness with them. In Exodus 24, God uh, finishes making a covenant with His people through Moses after they've been delivered from Egypt. And then in the next chapter, right when the covenant is done, in the very next chapter, chapter 25, He instructs them to build the tabernacle, to build a sanctuary where He could dwell with His people and be present with His covenant people. And the building of that tabernacle, that first tabernacle, is a beautiful story that actually uh, starts way back in their final days in Egypt when they were still in captivity. See, while the Hebrew people were still in Egypt, still captive, God was preparing them for their coming deliverance and the journey that they would be on for, for the next several years. If you're curious how that whole story plays out, I'm going to kind of cover it, but you can look and you can find the rest of that story. It's Exodus 11, 2, 12, 36, chapter 24, chapter 25. Just go read the whole of Exodus and you'll get it. Not right this second. But before they left Egypt, while they were still in captivity, God told the people to ask the Egyptians to give them their silver and their gold and all their fine clothing. And then they asked and they did it. Right? They actually gave them the stuff. Exodus 12, 35-36 says this, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. So then, the point here is when God calls the people in the wilderness to build him a house in which he can dwell with his people, and he calls for all these precious jewels and fine clothes and metals and all that for the building of the temple, these ex-slaves, these recently freed slaves who had nothing of their own before, have all that is needed and more for the building of that first tabernacle. So here's the reminder and the encouragement heard by uh, Haggai's disheartened audience. God's covenant with his people endures. God's covenant that he made then endures. And if he provided for the first tabernacle, that first temple from those who had been slaves and who had nothing, the same arrangement still is in place. God will provide for his dwelling place. He always has and he always will. It's who God is and it's what he does. He's the provider. And he faithfully provides. And he doesn't change. So if God provided for the very first temple, then he surely will provide for this one as well. And I don't want us to miss this. The greatest provision for the temple is himself. The greatest provision for the temple is himself. The point of the tabernacle being built in the wilderness was so that God could be present with his covenant people. It was the gift of himself, and it was worth everything that they had. And he says the same to these in Haggai. Work, for I am with you. My spirit remains with you. Be encouraged. I am with you. It's the same gift. It's the same encouragement. Through Haggai, God encouraged his people to be strong and continue the work on the temple by reminding them of the past 
But then he also gave them a look into the future. And that's Haggai 2, 6 through 9. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, in the future, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. I love this part. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord. The promise here is simply that as God has always done, He will surely do again, and in far greater ways than they could even really imagine or know. He's God. He is the creator. He made the gold. He made the silver. And no matter who on earth might be in possession of it, it's still his. And just as he gathered the gold and the silver and the fine clothes from the Egyptians, he will take every good and precious thing from every corner of the earth to adorn his temple, the place where he dwells with his people, the place from which the knowledge of who he is and the knowledge of what he does is made known and will flow from. And no matter what the physical temple they're building in the present may end up looking like, it also, it certainly is, it's going to pale in comparison to the thing he's building ultimately, right? It says the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Like in the future, the glory of the temple will be even greater, not just in the house that they're building, the temple that they're building, but even greater and more glorious than the temple of Solomon, the one that they're remembering, the one that they're comparing to. And not just because of how it's adorned with precious metals and fine carvings and sacred pieces, but because in it there will be God. In it there will be peace, and this place will bring peace. So see... There's really no need to compare the present work with the past work in terms of which is better. Because it's far better and more profitable to remember the God who has established and always provided for His temple, for His dwelling place among His people, and to look forward to the completion of His ultimate restoration when God will dwell with His people and there will be peace once and for all and to be strong and encouraged in the present knowing that it's not so much about the thing we're building, but about being with him in the work of it and about what he's making us into in the act of the building because he's preparing us, he's preparing you for your forever future. The writer of Hebrews actually quotes Haggai in uh, Hebrews 12, 26. In verse 21 of, of that chapter, 12, 21 in Hebrews The author uh, is talking about how terrifying it was for the Hebrew people back in the wilderness, back at Sinai, how terrifying it was for the Hebrew people to be near God at Sinai, at the place where that first covenant was made. And then he addresses those of us on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ. And let's just read this. It's 12, 22 through 29. kind of gives us a little context. He says, But you have come not to Mount Sinai, You've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, 
and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, the time of Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, and this is the quote from Haggai, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The author of Hebrews, in context, like Haggai, is exhorting the reader on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ who still waits for ultimate restoration and ultimate peace, be strong. Continue the work to which you were called. Haggai reminded the people of God's covenant made when they were delivered from Egypt and how God had provided for the temple and how he was faithful even still. And here the author, the author of Hebrews also offers encouragement by looking back at God's covenant with his people. That here it says that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, and that we are beneficiaries. See, what God did at Sinai when he spoke and he shook the earth and he made a covenant was establish a people for himself through whom he would unfold the work of redemption, unfold the work of restoration and reconciliation. And it was a promise that God would once again dwell with his people and they with him as he created us to. It had been done It had been undone by the corruption of Adam, but he was going to put it back together. And while these people were no longer slaves in Egypt, they were still captive to sin and idolatry. We know that from all the other minor prophets we've been through. And they're unable to keep their end of the covenant. They were unable to provide for their end of the covenant, so God provided. Jesus. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, and from the lineage of God's chosen people, he steps in and he keeps the terms of the old covenant in full. And that means that through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus has delivered us from sin and idolatry that held us captive. And he's provided a way for God to dwell with his people. He's provided what we could not provide. And Jesus, the King of kings, It says, we'll shake heaven and earth again. And all that, all that isn't of God will be shaken out. And all that will remain will be of God's kingdom where he is with his people and all the good things of his creation will be there that reflect his glory. The author of Hebrews here is offering an encouragement that echoes that of Haggai. Find strength. Continue in good work, knowing that he is with you according to the covenant that has been made through Jesus Christ, not just at Egypt, who is making all things new in you and through you. 
when Claire and I were uh, younger, when we were teenagers and we were just kind of getting to know each other, we used to tell each other all kinds of stories from our childhood. You probably have done this too, right? You tell each other what it was like growing up. And one story she told me multiple times, and it kept coming up for a few years, for like actually quite a few years after I heard this story. And it goes like this. The house that she grew up in, uh, or her dad built the house that they grew up in, and she had this like vivid memory of when she was like five years old going out into the backyard and helping him build the deck, right? She remembered using the hammer under her dad's supervision. That's a good memory of how she helped her dad build the house, right? Well, in recent years, I've come to find out that she hammered one nail in the deck, one nail in the whole deck, and that became in her memory that she helped build the whole house, right? You know what's going on here. This week, I painted my front door, and I painted about, it was dark green. We changed it to yellow. It's about 20 coats of paint on there. It's still green. It's just going to stay green, greenish-yellow. It's like a master's thing we got going on. And on the first night of painting, I let each of the kids help paint a little bit. Like I dipped the brush in the paint. I let them make a few strokes. Some of them I even helped them with because it was, it was going to get drippy. Uh, and, and so they made a few strokes with the brush, and then they just kind of moved on and went about their business. And, and one day they might think back on that and say, man, I remember when we painted this door yellow. I remember when I painted that with my dad yellow, Right? But in reality, I painted like 19 more coats. <laughs> they painted one little part. And I wasn't letting them help because I needed their help. In reality, I was letting them help for their benefit. Right? Maybe so that they could learn something, but more so so that they would know that I'm with them and I want them with me in whatever I'm doing. Here's what I think what we've got to see. The remnant in Jerusalem building the temple, they're just kids. And we are all like little kids helping our dad with the deck or with painting the door. And there's no way we can ever build what he's building. There's no way we're going to build what he's building. But he isn't telling us to do the work so that we'll do the work for him. It's not about the things that we're building or the, the work we are doing. It's all about being with him in the work of it and about what he's making you and I into in the building. He's preparing us for our forever future. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here I think we see a bit more of what God is ultimately building. We see that Jesus reconciles us not only to God, but also to each other, and that we're being joined together as a holy temple and as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Haggai, God is encouraging His disheartened people to remember Him from the past, to look toward His promised future, and to know Him presently, and to find strength to keep doing the work of building His temple. And in Hebrews 
We are urged to remember Christ and His kingdom that cannot be shaken, and so to continue in good works, walking in love towards one another. This also, then, is the work of building the temple. This is the work of building His temple, God's dwelling place, as we are growing into the temple ourselves, according to Paul in Ephesians. See, again, it's really not about what we're building or the work we're doing. It's all about being with Him in the work of it and about what He's making us into in the act of building. He is preparing us for our forever future. And in the end, in Revelation 21, right there at the end of the Bible, when the final shaking has occurred and heaven is like coming down and there's going to be this peace forever there, God's dwelling place is with men and theirs is with Him forever. That's the forever future that He's preparing us for. That's what He's getting us ready for, is being with Him forever. And so that's what I want us to take away. That's what I want to commend us to today. Be strong. Remember that Christ who is in you and see that He is with us, that He is with you, that He's drawing us all to Himself and towards that final day of ultimate restoration. And remember Christ. Be strong, be encouraged, and build His temple. Build His temple, that's us. And our work is not with timber, it's not with stones, it's not with gold, it's not with silver, it's not with a chisel, it's not with a saw, but it's in doing justice, it's in bringing peace, it's in acting with mercy, it's in striving together to bear the truth of the gospel, it's delivering truth, it's striving for unity. The Christian life isn't about just following a bunch of rules and staying away from whatever the Bible says is bad. That's kind of the rap it gets, but it's, it's about more than that. It's about being delivered from all those things and leaving all those things for what's better. Our work is about making Jesus known wherever we go in word and deed by being honest about our failures, by loving the way he loves, by serving the city for the good of all, and by inviting everybody into the family of God. We've been saying that a lot lately. I really want you to lean into that, and I brought one of these up here. There's these cards all over the church on the back. It has that statement on it. I'd really love for us to lead into this as a church. Grab some of these. Memorize that statement. Memorize that line. We're striving to make the real Jesus known by being honest about our failures, by loving the way that Jesus loves, by serving the city for the good of all, and by inviting everybody into the family of God. I want us to sincerely strive together toward making that statement true about us at Redemption Church because it is truly all about leaning in and knowing Jesus for who He really is. It's about being with Him. It's about letting Him prepare us together for our forever future and to prepare this whole place for its forever future. I think the church today, like we often get caught up in building the thing just right. Like we've got to have the right model, We've got to have the right building. We've got to have the right style to reach the right people in the right way from the right place. But I think if we spend our whole life together playing church here and we miss being with the real Jesus as he is with us, if we miss out on being with him and letting him 
transform us and transform the world by transforming us, then it won't matter what we build together because it will never be truly beautiful. But the encouragement in Haggai is an encouragement, I think, for us today too. Be strong. Work. God is with us. His Spirit lives within us, and He is building us into the dwelling place of God. And through the transforming work that He does in you and I, He will reach and transform the whole world. And one day, He's coming back. He's going to come back, and it will all be complete. We We will dwell together in perfect unity with our God forever. And we, like the people in Haggai, just cannot even imagine the depth of the beauty of it. But he's calling us to stay in his work as he prepares us for that forever future together. We're going to close with the time of response as we do each week and just continue to worship. In a few ways we'll do that. The band will lead us into that time. We'll come and we'll take communion where you come down these two side aisles and we'll take the bread, we dip it in the wine or the juice. The bread represents the body of Christ that was given for you. And the, the wine and the juice represents the blood that was shed for you. And as we do this, we are proclaiming the truth that Jesus is who he said he is. He's done what he said he would do. That he's delivered us not even just from Egypt, not just from captivity from other people, but from captivity to sin and idolatry and all that would keep us separated from God. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come and take with us to proclaim that truth to one another, to remember it together as we proclaim the good news in this, in this act of taking communion. There's also a basket in the back where you can give your tithes and offerings during this time of worship, and then the band will lead us through some more uh, singing. We can lift our voices and just worship our God who is with us, even here today, who is making us the, his dwelling place. It's really good news. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray with you. Father, I thank you again for this time. I thank you that you're with us. You are with us. You're present. Your spirit remains with us through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his work in the resurrection, his ascending to heaven and sending the gift of the spirit. The spirit is in us. We can live our lives. Christ in us of glory. I thank you for coming to free us of our sin, free us from idolatry, free us from all the things that would keep us from you. Thank you. We were created to to be in right relationship with you. That's what we were made for. That's where our joy is. That's where satisfaction is found and, and we couldn't have it and we can't have it apart from Jesus and you've made a way. Thank you. Lord, Encourage us this morning. Encourage us to continue where we are. Encourage us to to continue in the work you've called us to, to go and make disciples, knowing that you're with us always, even to the end of the age. And that what you're doing and what we're building, it's it's not about what we are building, it's about what you're building and about what you're making us. May May we be grateful and enter into worship of you with reverence, knowing how awesome you are and what you've done and how deep is the beauty of it. In Jesus' name, amen.